Okay, I think I've got it. We could have. We're going to look at the Haggadah. I just want to remind you of how the Haggadah goes. Um, <coughs> remember, there's an order to the Haggadah. Kadei, Shurchatz, Karpas, Yachatz, Magid. Right, you remember that? It's been that way for years. And you know, the, the Maharal wrote about order, how the ordering of things is important so we announce at the beginning of the Seder what we're going to do you know the Kadesh, Urchatz, Karpas, Yachatz but the mitzvah that we're interested in that is connected to the you know that the Haggadah has really you could divide it up into two two parts one part is telling the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim which is certainly the mitzvah Hayom which is the mitzvah of the day, telling the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. But then there's also <coughs> strange things that we do in order to uh, increase the likelihood that people will ask questions. Of course, we're so used to doing all of those things that we never ask any questions about them. So the questions are also put into the into the Magid, so to speak. So let's go through this list. Kadesh. Kadesh does not have anything specifically to do with Pesach, because on every Yontif you say Kiddush, and on Shabbos you also say, you say Kiddush, as you know. So Kadesh, Kadesh is a mitzvah that we do on that night, but we don't need a Haggadah for that mitzvah. Like, you don't need a Haggadah to say Kiddush on Shavuos, or to say Kiddush on Sukkot. So then we have Kadesh Urchatz and Karpas. So those for us are strange things. So we would hope that somebody would say, why are we doing it? But then, of course, again, since we do it every year, it becomes like just, oh, you know, remember, you know this one? Remember, don't make a bracha. You know, like, that's a good one. Uh, you know, it's like the great success of the educational system. Remember not to make a bracha. Kadesh Urchatz Karpas. What's Karpas? Karpas is something we don't do ever. I mean, to eat something before we eat. And of course, this Karpas creates a great halachic uh, problem. Right, because according to the official Haggadah, do we make a bracha on the karpas, on the piece of potato? If you don't remember, you can look in the Haggadah. <laughs> do you make a bracha on the karpas? Yeah. Ah, you do. Then later on in the, in the Seder, you also eat moror. And what should the bracha on the moror be? The same bracha is on the karpas. Do you make a bracha, the same bracha on the morah as the karpas? No. You don't. Why not? Ah, you had it in mind. What well, This is like a, a, the entire Jewish people has the morah in mind. Can you imagine that? Well, uh, that may be right. Your answer may be right, but there's a limit to having in mind. There's a time limit. Like if you can eat two vegetables and they're both there on the table and you know you can eat both of them, so it may be sufficient to make one bracha for both vegetables. But if you eat one vegetable, and then two hours later you eat the other vegetable, that may not quite do it. You know, there's, there's probably a time limit between the bori priyadama, the first vegetable, and the second uh, vegetable. This is called, what I'm telling you now is a halachic interlude. It has nothing to do with Pesach per se. It only has to do with the fact that since we've lengthened the Magid tremendously, this problem of, the, of making the bracha, this problem of making the bracha on, on the karpas work also for the moror is a, you know, is a halachic problem. You should see your local rabbis on how to deal with that problem. So again, Kadesh is not part of Pesach specifically. You have to make Kiddush on Pesach. 
Orchatz, Karpas, Yachatz. What's Yachatz? Also, it's another strange thing that we do. Right? It's not... I mean, what do we do when we do Yachatz? We break the matzah in half. Right? We break the matzah in half. Why do we break the matzah in half? It's very hard to know. But... Explanations there are galore. That's not a problem. It has something to do. This is yachatz is really the seder. I mean, it has something to do with the seder. Right? Matzah has something to do with the seder. Breaking up the three matzahs into two matzahs and a half, and taking a half away, and we gave that a name. We made a thing, a game out of it. Right? What's the game called? The afikoman game. Now nobody wanted to play the afikoman game. So we gave out prizes. If you play with the, uh, the Afikoman game, they will give you a Game Boy. So you can always find some industrious young person who's willing to play the Afikoman game in exchange for a Game Boy. So you have Kadesh, Urchatz, Karpas, Yachatz, Magid. Now you could say that all of the things that happened before Magid have something to do have something to do with the main mitzvah of the evening, which is Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim. And this is stated in the Rambam. If you look at the Rambam on the sheet, Mitzvah's Asei Shel Torah. This is the Rambam. That there's a mitzvah in the Torah, the Saper B'Yisim Nifla'ochen Asula Voteinu B'Mitzrayim, Belel Chamisha Asar B'Nisan. That's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says that the mitzvah hayom is to tell the story, not of Yitziat Mitzrayim. He doesn't formulate it that way. But he says, Nisim v'niflaot. The miracles and the wonders. Shinasu lavotenu Mitzrayim. On this night, Delel chamisha asar b'nisan. And that's the mitzvah. That's the mitzvah of But then the Rambam says, Shinehemad, he quotes a pasuk. That's the way the Rambam, that's the way the Rambam works. So according to the Rambam, according to the Rambam, there's not necessarily a fixed text. You don't can just tell the story. And we know the story because the story is told at length in the Chumash. The story is told at length in the Chumash. He says, how do we know that there's a special obligation on the 15th night of Nisan? That since on Yom HaShabbat, when Shabbat comes, you have to say, it's Shabbos. Right? There's a mitzvah min HaTorah to say, it's Shabbos. And how do we do that? How do we today do the mitzvah min HaTorah to say, it's Shabbos now? We say Kiddush, correct? We say Kiddush, yes? And, and that is a fulfillment of the obligation that the Torah has given us to announce that it's Shabbos. We do it in a formal way. Right? We do it in a formal way. We do it as a mitzvah. We're motzi others of the mitzvah of Kiddush. Right? All of these things, all of these things have to do with saying that it's, uh, that it's uh, uh, Shabbos. Similarly, on Pesach, we have to say something that indicates that we know that there is an obligation. And what's the obligation according to the Rambam? L'saper benisim v'niflaot. That's what the Rambam says. L'saper benisim v'niflaot. And do we tell the story of the nisim v'niflaot on the night of Pesach? We certainly do. I would say in the second half of the Magid, if you have a Haggadah, you can look. Let's start from... Uh, you see, uh, You see, there's a section of the, of the uh, uh, Haggadah that starts with Hisham Avotenu V'lavnu V'akodesh Bochu Matzilenu Miyadam and then there's a drashan, a pasuk. The pasuk is v'nitz. I can't tell you the page because if you have a Haggadah, it'll be a different page. There's no standardized pagination for the Haggadah. V'nitzakel Hashem elokeh avoteinu v'yishma Hashem et koleinu v'yaret anyeinu v'et amaleinu v'et lachatsev. It's a pasuk in dvarim. 
That's what the Pasuk is. So if you look in the Haggadah, you see Manishtana, then you see Avadim Hayinu, then you say Mitchila Ovde Avadazar Ayu Avadim Mitzrayim, and then after that you have this Pasuk, which is then darshaned in the Haggadah. It's explained word by word. At the end of the last words in that Pasuk, Last pasuk in, in that in that pasuk are otot umoftim, and that begins another series of drashot otot umoftim, which ends with elu eser makot shevia kodesh bocho al mitzrim and mitzrayim veeluheim veeluheim. And what are the eser makot? If you have the place, dams vadei kinim, etc. Right, so the Nisim V'Niflaot that the Ramam is referring to certainly appear in the Haggadah. And I would say we call it the second part of the Maggid. The first part of the Maggid, we'll see, is a little bit different, but the second part of the Maggid is about Nisim V'Niflaot. And then, you know, we say Dam Tzadeya and all of that. And then you have this very interesting, uh, um, very interesting discussion amongst Tanaim. Tanaim, those are the people who wrote the Mishnah. And they say, they're having an argument, these Tanaim, about how many Makot really took place in Mitzrayim. So you see Rabbi Yossi Aglili. Rabbi Yossi Aglili says that in Mitzrayim, Lakua Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim, Eser Makot. In Mitzrayim there were ten Makot. What do you think about that? Rabbi Eliezer, I'm skipping his proof. Rabbi Eliezer, how do we know that every one of the makot that HaKadosh Baruch brought upon Am Yisrael was like wrapped up, at four makot wrapped up in them? He says, oh, he knows that somehow. And therefore, everything is times four. So in Mitzrayim there were ten times four makot, and on the Yam there were fifty times four makot, two hundred. So I'd have the two hundred and fifty makot. Did you ever notice this? Was this already past the time of Compass Mentis? On the night of the Haggadah. This is like one said, I'll just tell you what it says in the Haggadah. It's a good thing we had this, uh, this get-together today. Rabbi Akiva, who also is one of the great Tanaim, maybe the greatest of them, And therefore, he says, if each one was five times five, so the Mitzrayim, how many Makot were there? 50. Val Hayam Kama Makot Hayu, 250. 250 Makot. So there's a Machloket. So I, I, I always wondered about this. What are these Tanoim talking about? One of the few pieces of reasonable information that we have about Yitzhak Mitzrayim is that they were. Ten makot. Not only does the Torah tell us that there were ten makot, but the Torah tells us what they were. What is the point of saying each makah was four, each makah was five, and there were 250 or 400? What sort of sense? What's wrong with ten? What's wrong with ten makot? I those makot were pretty, that was like a big blast in Mitzrayim. You know, if a Kodesh Baruch Hu did that in Libya, they would remember it. Not like a few planes flying over and shooting torpedo missiles at nothing. This was the, this was a serious matter. You'd see at Mitzrayim, ten makot, quite enough, quite enough. And Rabbi Yossi Aglili, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Lozar, they're talking about no, how many were there really? How many were there really? But this is certainly the part of the Haggadah which fits into the Rambam's demand in the first halacha. Then the Rambam says, there's a second halacha. 
Uh, how do you know you have to do this mitzvah on the night of the 15th Talmud Lomar you have to say that this, that the telling of the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim is audio-visual. Right, you need, remember in school, when I was a little kid, we used to have show and tell. You used to bring stuff from home and show everybody and talk about it and this was supposed to acculturate you or bring you closer to reality. So, uh, you know, everybody bought in their little Tinker toy set. Today, of course, you'd bring in Game Boy 17 and a half and zap the teacher or something. But, uh, the, 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 so this is also audio-visual. It's also audio-visual that when you tell the story, you say, we had to bake matzahs, we didn't have time to make, to make bread. So you pick up the matzah and you say, this is a matzah. You say to the whoever doesn't know that it's a matzah. And then the Rambam says, listen to this, this all comes from the Mishnah, by the way. I just take the Rambam because the Rambam summarizes it very neatly and, uh, and uh, uh, concisely. He says, Avopisha, he says, I'm sorry, they has to teach them the end the third line, the fourth, fifth word on the third line. You have to tell the story of the Nisim U Niflaot to your son. And then the Rambam adds, as the Mishnah adds, that, that would be bad pshat. It would be bad pshat to think that the obligation of Sipo Yitziat Mitzrayim is because you have a son. It's not because you have a son sitting there. If you have a son sitting there, you have to address him. But if you don't have this, a son there, you don't have a child there, you still have to do the mitzvah of Sipo Yitziat Mitzrayim. We get to the more. Oh, what do you think that means? What does it mean? He's like this great Talmichachem. He's sitting by himself. You know, his children are someplace else. His grandchildren are someplace else. And his grandchildren, great-grandchildren are someplace else. He's all by himself. And he knows the Haggadah backwards and forwards. He knows Masech HaPsachah. He knows the Shulchan Aruch. He knows it. So what is, he, what is he supposed to do? So along comes the Rambam and he says, Even the great people of the community have to tell the story of Yisiyat Mitzrayim. What is that? What is that about? I mean, why should you put the, you know, I understand, Ratsui Pesach Frank, Ratsui Pesach Frank, who was the Rabbi in Yerushalayim for many, many years, used to make a Seder that took him about five minutes. And he had an excuse, because he said if you drink four cups of wine, then you becheskat shikor. A person who drinks that much wine. And someone who's a shikor can't answer shilas. It's forbidden for him to pask in a shila. So Rav Tzif, Professor Frank, knew that people would have come in during the night. They would all come in all the time asking him shilas. And he wouldn't be able to answer because he'd make a seder. So he made the seder very, very fast. He drank the four cups of wine. He went to sleep. Sleep. The halacha says is a panacea for drunkenness. You sleep it off, so to speak. In fact, I think that from Purim, there are people who are still sleeping it off, right? Even even now. But Jatzipas would go to sleep for an hour, then he would get up, and then he would be able to answer. He'd be able to answer the shaila. So I understand. Jatzipas Frank made the seder by himself. He knew everything that there was to know. He knew Shas and Shulchan Aruch and Halacha. He knew prizes could see him in his posthumously published writings. Um, he was a very exceptional uh, personality. And, uh, okay, so he made the Seder in a couple of minutes. But what does this mean? 
וזה חכמים גדולים חייבים לספר ביציאת מצרים וכל המעריך בדברים. Why should anybody be מעריך בדברים in reading the Haggadah? It's the same Haggadah as last year. Nothing has changed. I mean, what is it? What is it that this is about? So I've asked a number of questions, and I'm going to try to answer them by looking at, uh, uh, at a few uh, different texts. <coughs> the Rambam in the second halacha says, Mitzvah lo what if the opposite is true? If you don't have sons who ask, they're, they're like not into it. You have to be an educator on the night of the Seder. And you have to teach your children according to their ability to absorb the information. How so? He says, Ketzad, if the child was still very young or well, not so clever, even though this has become, apparently it's proven that a Jewish child cannot be unclever. So in those days, the Rambam thought it was possible. Omerlo bini, kulano ayinu avadim So he would point to the maidservant in his house and he would say, we were all slaves like she. We were like her. I guess this proves that everybody, according to the Rambam, is supposed to have a maidservant. But I guess if you don't have a maidservant, you could do something. Anyway, she says, or, or this servant that we have, so, uh, there's a way to find a language in which you could explain Yitziat Mitzrayim, even to children who don't understand a lot. Now, what about this other side? You tell them what really happened in Mitzrayim. So you also, so what is it you're supposed to tell the son who's a Chacham? What does the Rambam say? I mean, what do you tell him? You read the Haggadah to him? I mean, he can read the Haggadah himself. What do you tell your... Today, right, we, everybody has smart children. They're all learning yeshiva. They all know what their parents should do. So that makes them super smart. So if, if your children tell you what you should do, then it's really a challenge to try to teach them something about Pesach. But the Rambam says... The Rambam says, "Im ben gadol If he's a grown person and he's chacham and he's very smart, You tell him what really happened in Mitzrayim. Okay, we started talking about the Haggadah a little bit, what I'd like to go back to is the fact that the, uh, the Haggadah is written in the manner of questions and answers, like somebody asks a question and somebody gives an answer. Why is this night dif- different? Shebechol halaylot anu ochlim chameitz that's really a good question because that question is as profound as you would like it to be it could be simple and the question could be how come we're eating in a strange way it could be a little bit more serious why is it that we have to reject chametz in order to eat matzah. Now that's a little bit more of a, of a difficult question to answer. Like if the chiyuv was to eat chametz, eat sikhai, to eat matzah, as the Jews ate matzah when they left Mitzrayim, that could have been it. You eat, ma, you eat matzah. Why is it that we have to avoid eating chametz? Why do we have to get rid of chametz? Why is it we can't 
own chametz, I mean, the, the extreme of our behavior towards chametz produces a question. So that that's the question. The answer in the Gemara, the answer in the, in the Haggadah, according to the Rambam, is because of the Nisim V'Niflaot. What the connection to the question, the answer is, we'll get to. But maybe not right now. I want to tell you Halacha in the Rambam Hilos Talmud Torah, Perik Hei Halacha Yud Gimel. You see the second source? HaTalmidim Mosifim Chochmat HaRav Umarchivim Libo. This was a theory that the Rambam had and that he presented to us. That you, that the teacher-student relationship worked in both directions. It's true that the teacher taught the students, but it's always true that the students taught the teachers. Everybody who has ever been a teacher knows that you learn the material and you know it very well and you prepare it, you cover that, and all of a sudden somebody asks you a question and it's something you never thought of. This is something that every teacher can tell you. So that the act of teaching, the act of teaching is also always an act of learning. It's never, I tell you, at least in the Torah, but I mean it's true in in all the other areas of study that I've ever come into contact with. So the Rambam says at Talmidim, he's talking about Torah students. Mosifim chokhmat harav umarchivim libo. They add wisdom to the Rav and they give him a, a broad heart. Amru chachamim. Habei chokhmat lamadati mirabotai. This is a famous a famous statement. I learned a lot of Torah from my teachers. V'yoter mechaverai u'meitalmidai yoter mikulam. I learned from my rebbeim. I learned from my fellows, my chavruta, so to speak. But the most I learned from my talmidim. And then the Rambam waxes poetic, and he says u'kishem. She'etz katan madlik et hagadol, just like a, you know, when you want to light a big fire, you take a little, a little match, or you take some thin sticks, and you put it, and you light them first, and then the little sticks light bigger ones until you get a tremendous fire. Shem she'etz katan madlik et hagadol, kach talmid katan mechaded harav. In a similar manner. Even a, a, a minor student is able to sharpen up his Rebbe, right? Is able to sharpen up uh, the Rebbe, Ad shiyotzi mimenu b'she'elotav The Rambam has it right on. The child asks questions, and the child may not know that the question is such a good question. But if the teacher takes that question seriously, he suddenly becomes, he suddenly becomes uh, able to think about things that he hadn't thought about before, and he deepens his knowledge, he deepens his knowledge of the Torah. So in fact, according to the Rambam, it doesn't matter who says, Manishtana halayla hazemi kol alelot, and it doesn't matter who says, when you hear that question, it resonates with you on your level. It doesn't matter who asks the question. A child could ask the question. A child who really doesn't understand much and was just taught to ask that question in school. But when you hear that question, you hear according to your capacity to hear and to understand. And when you hear the question about chametzu matzah, what goes through your mind, what you think about is that chametz and matzah are really problematic. It's really a question. So that when you answer the question, 
the answer also should be understood on a variety of levels. And that's what the Rambam means, that the child has this ability to ask. I mean, you know when children come in and they ask you about God? You know, children are like that. They don't know before they learn that you're not supposed to ask those kind of questions. So they may ask a question about God, about creation, about who made this and who made that. And you say, oh, that's nothing. You say to the child, you say, ah, forget it. But in your head, it's not that. There's something bouncing around and you know that you don't know the answer. So that, that there's no way to stop the question from affecting the, hear, the word person who hears. There's no, there's no parody in questions. If the person who asked the question doesn't have the slightest idea of what that question means, the person to whom the question is addressed, he has an idea. And there's no way that he can escape. So that the process of questioning and answering, that process is what leads to chidush. You see, if a person comes and he makes a speech, and he says, I'll tell you what Pesach is, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do on Pesach. That doesn't do it. But if somebody asks you a question, question means that there's some doubt, there's something that has to be clarified. That suddenly resonates in the person to whom the question was addressed. It resonates with him on a whole variety of levels. And then he says, what is the answer to that question? How will I answer it? Not for the child who doesn't even understand what he asked, but how will I answer it for myself? What's my answer to the question? So the Rambam says, the Rambam says that in the nature of things, children, when they ask questions, they don't ask children's questions. They ask a question. And that question resonates within the adult as an adult's as an adult's question. There's another halacha in the Rambam that I want you to remember. The Rambam talks about Talmid Imagine such a halacha. A Talmid, a student. I would talk about an, a good student, a very good student in the yeshiva. And he's go golela areya miklat. What do you mean he's golela areya miklat? He killed somebody. Killed somebody bishogeg. Just because you kill somebody bishogeg and not bemezi doesn't make you an outstanding citizen. You know, killing people is not a good thing. But the Torah says that if he killed somebody bishogeg, the, the guy who was, the dead guy's relatives can run after you and try to kill you. You can run to escape to go to ira miklat. Ira miklat, you're safe. They can't kill you there, and you wait there until the Kohen Gadol dies, right? I've summarized the process. It's in the Chumash. That's what happens. So listen to the Rambam. The Rambam says, Talmid, Shegala. There's a Talmid. He killed somebody. Okay, Bishoge. But he killed him. The guy's dead. There's no doubt about that. Larei Miklat, Migalim Rabo Imo. What did Rabo do? What did the Rebbe do? He didn't do anything. He's sitting in the yeshiva, like he's learning a difficult ketzosa or something. All of a sudden he gets a notice. Your favorite Talmud barrel is now locked in the air miklat. You better go there also. So he has to go. He has to go to the air miklat. What does he have to go to the air miklat for? Because he says, I say, Shinema, and the quotes of Pasuk, V'chai. That somehow you've got to give him life to the the Rebbe. You're not supposed to die. They're supposed to live in the Yemiklat. But this guy can't live in the Yemiklat unless he has his Rebbe. The same thing is true that if the Rav killed somebody, Bishogeg, and he's in the Yemiklat, the whole yeshiva has to go to the Yemiklat. So what is this? What is the Rambam saying? The Rambam is saying is that the process of Talmud Torah, 
which is a process that is connected to the word chidush. You have to discover the novel. You have to discover the, 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 the new exciting ideas that you didn't see yesterday. Certainly that you didn't see the year before when you learned, when you said the Haggadah. Those novel ideas and that new insight in that way is connected to the Talmud-Rebbe relationship where the Talmud says, what are you talking about, Rebbe? And the Rebbe has to figure out a way to explain it, to transfer his insight. And while figuring out how to transfer his insight to his Talmud, he understands. He understands that, that uh, there's something new, there's something novel, there's some new idea. He gives him the, the life force. And so, even in the Ir HaMiklat, we have to defend, we have to defend that process. Okay. Oi. There are two more sources that I'd like to uh, make you aware of. One is the, the parish of the Gold on Mishle, in Apostle in Mishle, and the other is something in the Nefesh HaChayim. Nefesh HaChayim, Rav Chaim was a Talmud of the Gold. In this case, the two sources are not exactly uh, commensurate, but Maybe they'll make sense if you remember that there's a Talmud and a Rebbe. So there's a Posig in Mishle. Mishle Perik Yudalit Posig Dalit. Be'ein alafim evus bar virav tvuot bekoach shah. It's good, isn't it good when you read a Posig in Mishle you don't understand a single word? That's like, it's like, what? Individual words, I don't say them individually or together, but it's, it's like, it's humbling, right? It's like a little bit humbling. You know that the Vilna Gon wrote uh, a parish on Mishle? Because he felt, he felt that Mishle was full of illusions. And the only way to understand Mishle was to break down the process of illusions, to get the, the sod in Mishle. You had to get the sod. So let's just see what the, how many of these words we can, uh, we can understand. So, alufim, alafim. Alaf is a word that means, you know, the letter aleph in the aleph bet? So, you know, the letter aleph is an ox. And, and so, you know, in the old Hebrew, they used to write an aleph like this, like a V with a line in it. So if you turn it sideways, maybe it looks like the head of an ox. That I don't know. I'm not so clever of that. Be'ein alafim, in where there are no oxen, right? Evus bar. Evus bar. The, uh, uh, an evus is uh, what you eat out of, a trough. What the animals eat of, out of. So it's, it's empty. Raftvuot bikoach shor. Rav is a lot. Tavuot. Tavuot are not necessarily wheat, but produce, products. Bikoach uh, shor, the strength of the ox. So now we've explained some of the words, but it still doesn't, doesn't make too much sense, right? Well, who is the, who are the alafim and who is the shor, right? Who are the, uh, the oxen? And who are the, who's the ox? Uh, who's the, what, what exactly is he talking about? So here the, the gross says this. Uh, I don't know if we start from the beginning. Here. If you look at the fourth wide line, the first, the first word is Razal, right? So there's a Gemara in Avodah Zorah. In the Gemara in Avodah Zorah, they have the following aphorism. And it says, Lo'olam ye'adam kechamor lemasa ukeshor le'ol. That a person should always be like a donkey lemasa. Donkeys were good for carrying burdens, right? Ukeshor le'ol. And the ox was, used to put a yoke on the ox. And the, the ox would pull the yoke and you would uh, make a furrow in the ground. And that's how you 
planted things. Okay? That's what Chazal say. Chichamor lemasa uchashor laor. The Gra says, Gimel perushim. There are three ways to understand this statement. Echad. Kemoshe katavdu lemala al pi eitz chayim hi. Kiyesh shnei minei machsikei yidei lomdei Torah. There are two kinds of people who support Torah learning. Echad beguf, echad bemamon. Some people with their bodies support Torah learning and some with their money. Vizel chamor v'shor, that's the reference to a chamor and a shor. A donkey and an ox. Chamor lemasa. Chamor is good for carrying packages, burdens. I don't know exactly what the difference is, but apparently the Chamor has more of the physical burden of Talmud Torah, like he, he takes care of things, he takes care of the food, and the Shor, and the Shor personality um, gives gives the money. You see, you see where we are. It's like five lines from the end of the next line. He says the chamor bears the burden of mitzvot. He does all the mitzvot correctly. Who owe Torah? And the Shor is the one who actually learns Torah. The Hagimel, and the third interpretation, Kechamor Lamasa, Kiyeshba Torah, Pishtei Torah, Lavin Hainyan Apshad Be'er Heitev. V'yesh Gam came Pilpul Levarech, Levarer Ulelabein Hainyan, Bekushyot V'terutzim. So now he gets to what he calls Perush Gimel which, of course, is the, the important perush that he brings, that chamor lemasa, in other words, the chamor, the donkey, carries with him the burden of pshat. And what does the Torah say? What's written in it? What does everybody know? What's obvious? Ki yesh Torah pishtei Torah lavina anyana pshat yesh gam The gro. There is also pilpul. What does pilpul mean? Levarer u lelabeina inyan bekushiot v'teirutzim. Kushiot v'teirutzim. That's the method of learning, the Gros says. You ask a question, you give an answer. Uvalei lomdei Torah bepshat bepshat hapashut heima nikreim chamorim. And people who are satisfied to learn the simple interpretation, the state, straightforward meaning of things, they are the chamorim. Halomdim bepilpul heimanikraim shvarim. But the ones who learn with greater insight and, and develop ideas, they are the oxen. Kishor bal karnayim. Because after all, the ox has horns. Kemosh yikotlad v'zal. There's a gemara in brachot. He says a person needs, we need in the world the Chamor aspect of it and the Shor aspect of it. You have to know the Pshat and you have to go over the Pshat again and again. And you have to you have to do a higher level of study in order that everything should become clear. That's what the, our Pesach means. You see the Pesach says, Rav Tuvotubah? So whatever, so, so there's the Pesach, and there's the interpretation of the Pesach, but then there's the idea. And what is it that the Ram, that the Gra insists upon? He says you can know the Torah and not know it. That's called that's called the Pshat. What's another way of understanding Pshat? Pshat is what your Rebbe told you. 
Pshat is what your teacher taught you. That's pshat. Whatever they taught you, nothing added, nothing investigated, nothing looked into. That's called pshat. But pilpul, he calls it pilpul, higher level of learning, is when there's a kushia, when there's a problem, when the pshat generates an issue, when there's a problem that is clarified between the Rebbe and the teacher, then you get to the higher level, you get to the higher level of, of Torah study. The last source, which is not on the sheet, but which I will happily share with you, is from a book called the Nefesh HaChaim. The Nefesh HaChaim was written by Rav Chaim Velozhenar. Rav Chaim Velozhenar was the first Rosh Yeshiva in Velozhenar. And he was one of the outstanding Talmidim of the Gaon. Of the Gaon. And just that the Gaon felt that uh, it was very important to know all of the Torah. And all of the Torah for the Gaon included, of course, Kabbalah and Zohar. Right? All of those books were part of, of his essential course of study. Rav Chaim Velazhina also knew those books very well and uses them. And he, in the first section of this book called the, um, called the um, Nefesh HaChaim, he tries to explain to us why it is that we can be religious personalities and what it means to be a religious personality. So in this chapter, chapter 13, the... the um, Chaim Velozhenov says that what connects us to God is the koach adibur, the ability that we have to speak, which differentiates us from all the other animals in the world. Yes, yes, even the parrots. It differentiates us from all the other animals that were created in the world. And we know that the uncle is translated, when God made man, he blew into his nose, nishmat chayim, soul of life. And the uncle translates those words as ruach memalela. Memalela means speech. And ruach means spirit. So that the spirit that God placed in man slash woman is this ability to speak. And along comes, along comes Rechaim Belozhen. says that what enables us to influence heaven, like we daven, we give out brachas, we do things. Says, what is it? What is this power that we think we have that enables us to influence what's going to go on in heaven? He says, this is connected to Dibur. To the fact that God made us speaking creations. And then he says, Lishon Haggadah. What do you mean when you say Haggadah? To say something, to speak. He says, that is Raza de Milta. That is Raza de Milta. That's the secret of the words. In other words, whenever you say something, you could say, I'm going to the store to get a sack of milk. You could say that. But if you were really attuned to the person and what he was saying, you would see that the word order, he said, I'm going to the store. He didn't say, I'm going to get a sack of milk at the store. Is there a difference? Ah, if you really understood who the person was, and you were able to follow his way of thinking about things, you'd see that every construction makes a difference. And that difference is called Raza de Milta. That's the secret in the words that a person says. And that secret, knowing that secret, is called Haggadah. That's what the Zohar says. And that's what Rechaim Velazhina quotes. It's called Haggadah. So now if I ask you, what is the Haggadah? So the Haggadah is the story of the Nisim V'Niflaot. But now I say, 
That's the Rambam. The Rambam says the Haggadah is the story of the Nisim and the Philodra. Okay, it's the story of the Nisim and the Philodra. What is it really? What is it really? What is the Rosa de Milta? What's the secret in the saying of the Haggadah? The secret in the saying of the Haggadah is that I don't want to tell the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. I don't want to do that at all because I can just give all the children a video copy of the Prince of Egypt, right? That's what it's called. And here's the Prince of Egypt. Uh, you, you, you don't think, it's pretty good, I think. I don't, I don't know. I saw a little bit of it once. Prince of Egypt. They have to sit at the table and be bored to death of what's going on. They go sit in the video with, the, with Prince of Egypt, big crackerjacks or something, and have a wonderful time, and they'll tell you exactly what happened in Yitziat Mitzrayim. But they won't get the Rosa de Milta. The Rosa de Milta of telling the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim is, as the Haggadah says, and it's part of the Mishnah, Behold, Dorva, What does that mean? What is the Raza de Milsa? The Raza de Milsa is that whatever happened in Yitzhak Mitzrayim was not only important linearly in history, the Jews went from point A to point B, but they went through a change. They suddenly became aware of things that they didn't know anything about. That's the Raza de Milsa. So when I tell the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of Yitziat Mitzrayim, which means that the telling of the story has the ability to change the world in which I live and to make me one of the people Yotzmi Mitzrayim, as Rechaim Velozhina said, as Rechaim Velozhina said, that's the Rosa, the Milsa of the Haggadah. The Haggadah is not a story about them. But it's got to be a story about me. And that's the power that I have in using the words that I use. And the Gros said, the Gros said, you have to understand, when you learn Torah, there are two kinds of learning Torah that you do. What is called Pshat and what is called Pimple. Those are the words he uses. We can use different words. Pshat means you're a recipient of the Torah. You just like you sit there, somebody teaches, and you learn whatever they say. Very nice. That's called pshat. It could be simple. It could be complicated. But it's all pshat. What does pilpul mean according to the Groh? Pilpul means you're an active participant. Active participant doesn't mean that you know as much as the Rebbe. Active participant means you have a question. There's something you want to clarify. And that clarification lights things up like a fire. Lights up uh, like a little, a little bit of fire lights up a bigger fire. Right, that's what the uh, that's what the gro that's what the gro said. So the 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 gro who was the rebbe of Rav Chaim Velashner, he said, he said, when you learn, you have to always look to the insightful kind of learning. So when you say the Haggadah, you have to know that the questions and answers are the most insightful way of learning, both for the rebbe and for the. And for the Talmud. And so the halacha is that if there is no Rebbe and Talmud, the Rebbe still has to ask the questions. He still has to have an insightful kind of a, a, uh, a Haggadah at the, at the Seder. And the law comes from Chaim Velozhin, or Chodrush says, that's the Rosa the Milsa. The Rosa the Milsa, the Sod Shel Hamilah, the Sod of the word that you say, is that the word can recreate the actual uh, uh, event and could put you into it. That's the Chayev Kol Adam. Chayev Kol Adam doesn't mean that you have to sit there and take a drug or something and, and hypnotize yourself into thinking that you're part of the charge out of Mitzrayim. But it means that understanding Yitzhak Mitzrayim includes, wow, it was so good, it was so clear, it was so understandable that I want to be there also. I want to be with the clear. I want to be with the good. I want to be with the understandable. That's, that's what it is. So that the Sipu Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim, the Sipu Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim is not a perfunctory act. 
It's not something which is done by repeating what you did last year. Quite the contrary. By asking the questions and giving the answers, you're always coming up with something new. So this may be, you know, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yossi Aglili, what did they say? They said, how many miracles were there really? Isn't that what they said? I mean, I know the Torah says ten, but the Torah is not going to tell us everything. The Torah is going to wait for us to uncover things. So they said, well, maybe it's this way, maybe it's that way, maybe add it by two, you multiply by two, by four, by five, to get the real number. So you see that the Tanoim, in their own Seder, where they were learning about Yitziat Mitzrayim, how did they put themselves into the story? How did they enter the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim? By saying that there's a clarification that they can make about what the story is. There's some new idea that no one ever thought of yet. And this idea that there were many more miracles that are actually stated in the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, that idea, that idea is new. That idea is significant. And that idea made it into the, into the Haggadah so that we should see, give us an idea of what it means to make a Chiddush, to, to get a new insight, to look carefully into things. And having made that Chiddush, you fulfill the requirement of Chayav Adam Lerosis Atzmo, Kilu Hoyu Yatzom Mitzrayim. So you have to remember the bone, the Rambam's the gone, the Nefesh Chaim. Have a good Shabbos. Marif. What happened? What an honor. My wife was at a wedding, so we're a little late. Well, you didn't go to the wedding? No. no. It was only only the women were invited. To a wedding? The wedding for women? My wife were invited. No, apparently that since you know they didn't invite the husbands if they didn't know the people. How are you doing? Getting better slowly. Yeah. I want to ask you. This thing always bothered me. This halacha about Ori Miklat. Because after all, if the Rebbe killed Bishogeg, he gets his whole yeshiva. This way, he's stuck with one Talmud. So first of all, what happened to the? To I guess what, he can is that leave. fair to the whole yeshiva? Nobody can leave. I don't know. Can he? Yeah. It's just he has to go. No, he go out and back. He'll keep is, coming is back. That what I, I think so. I thought that was If he did it, he has to stay there all the time. Yeah, yeah. But the question is, he he can leave? Yeah, yeah. But he has to keep his time. Well, all the guys who sell tomatoes in the era Miklot, they all leave, they come back. Yeah, no, I'm saying because he's, he's yeah. here because of his talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and think of the rest of the yeshiva, what, you know, that's <laughs> not. <laughs> I think he goes that's special. Chavrusa, like he has a chavrusa with one of these talmidim. I guess if, he's, if he gives a very ob- obscure shear that it takes the guy longer to think about, he doesn't have to go back so much. Yeah, but, yeah, that's also true. Yeah. No, no, Marev. Who's Davi Marev? If you don't get it going, no. Do you do, I mean, hi, do you Davin? Oh. The Chassan, the Chassan. Let's hear the Chassan Davin. Oh, oh. <laughs> That's a good one. Let's see how he does. Now it's Let's pu- see. Now it's public knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no one knew. <laughs> David, you're a chosen that you're Mar. Which is the public now?